I saw I saw this artist yesterday on Instagram, and he specializes. This is odd. I I don't know if it's actually a man or a woman. Specializes in vaginal tattoos, like around. Um, they literally put a little black square where like the opening is, and then you just see like the whole vagina, and then it's like a big tribe. Wait, I don't understand. Like, yeah, wait, what do you mean a black square? To, so they can post it on Instagram. Oh, so I it's see, like, like covering it up, cover sure. up yeah, the yeah, clit yeah. or whatever, and then it's like you've got like this like blazing thing like here but i was thinking about it and i was like all right this is kind of sexy because all the you know they were beautiful women yeah. and they all like I, I went on his page i'm like oh this is like the guy That's you go to does, if you want yeah. a vaginal black tribal tattoo which i is like so that you call sexy. it a vaginal That's vaginal is that i think that's the uh the technical <laughs> term <laughs> I'm very curious to see how much of that makes it into the episode because normally we just babble about bullshit before, but I feel like yeah. there's some decent talks. It's a good way to warm up, and then you're like, should we keep this or not? You know, and and every time it's like not because like last week, dude, that episode was our longest episode ever. Oh, dude, it was I, 90 I, fucking I just felt minutes, like talking. The whole, I mean, it was just I just wanted. To I'm gonna talk. do my. I, I as I was curating this whole outline for this week, I was trying to keep in mind like people don't want to listen for an hour and a half to a whole goddamn fucking ding dong. They can podcast, turn it off so if they want. They can turn it off, but then they're gonna miss some of the good shit at the end. True. So this week I'm trying to I'm going to try to keep it in mind okay. that we've got. But as I say that, you know, I've got like fucking tons of stuff on here. So let's just do this. Dear Buds podcast. I'm Henry. That's Dave. What's up? This is episode 131, which I got to say, love the symmetry of yep, that number. I'm going to say that anytime we it have a one surrounded by a one. Oh, I love the mm-hmm. I love a good palindrome. So let's do this. Symphony of Corrections. Here is your weekly reminder that cables are tone tubes. Thank you, listener, for listening to this and being here with us. Uh, we love you. Love and you. if you want a stick and poke tattoo from me, just hit us up uh, <laughs> at gearwoodspodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram, Facebook, subscribe, Spotify, Do you have Apple, the kit? Blah, blah, blah. I don't have the kit, but okay. I have the fucking means of, of ordering them on Amazon. And I just I would just take them from Sarah because she would let me. Awesome. Uh, so here we go. We've got a lot, actually a lot of stuff for the symphony this week, including I've got a, a lot to read right here. So uh, my friend and yours... One of our, our dearest, oldest friends, oldest listeners, Steve, the the professor, the man himself, had to chime in after we got into our bro science about Figured he electricity would. last week. We knew and, it was coming. And he said, I'm just going to get into this message here that he sent me. And I did edit some of it out for length, but uh, here we go. <laughs> Dude, I feel like I have to chime in now about the electrical safety discussion you get you guys had on this week's episode. <laughs> I feel called out, which, frankly, we did call out. I think we did, we did specify out. his name. We yeah. sure did. So here we go. First off, I'm glad you addressed the most common misconception. The current is what is typically lethal in a given circuit. When you touch a doorknob in dry weather and get a static shock, there is thousands of volts between you and the doorknob. And as you bring your hand close to the doorknob, the electric field becomes so large it exceeds a threshold above which the atoms in the air become ionized. Hmm. In parentheses, electrons are stripped from the atoms, causing them to become charged, and current is able to pass through the air. This is called dielectric breakdown. That is, the air is normally an insulator, but put enough electric field across it, and it will eventually conduct. Close parentheses. And a tiny bit of charge transfers between you and the doorknob. A spark! Exclamation. He, he really got into this. I, really, I, I love fucking it. love it. Now, the reason you don't die when this happens is because this tiny bit of charge is a tiny little current. Lightning is the same concept, except with a shit ton more charge, thousands of amps can flow in lightning. Quite the spark, more exclamations. That being said, often when high voltage is present, you do often have large current sourcing capabilities, such as an outlet, or large charge storage and large capacitors, and so large voltage is often an indicator to be on guard. This is sort of what we talked about, but from an actual scientist telling us this. 
The rule of thumb is to, is not to mess with stuff unless you know what you're doing. Big caps equal big shocks. Now he gives a little little personal story. When I was an intern at a local HVAC company, engineers would talk about putting screwdrivers across the giant caps to short them out. Oh, geez. Not for the faint of heart. Oh, boy. Attaching a resistance is the best, safest way to, to, discharge, to discharge a large cap, which we talked about. Though the resistor, and we didn't mention this, and it's true, needs to be able to handle the correct amount of current or you'll let the smoke out of the resistor. So just basically use a high-value resistor for that. Uh, then he goes on to say, we teach our students the one hand working at a time rule when they take our electrical mechanical, our electromechanical energy conversion class, where they are working with 200 amps, three 200 amp, three phase power systems and motors. That's fucking beefy. When I was a student, there was still a lot of exposed wiring connections that could probably do some real damage, but it's mostly now safely behind plexiglass. Back in my day. Yep. Uh, here we go. This is. I'm glad he mentioned this because we sort of thought that this might be true, but we didn't quite get to it. Uh, it is an old wives' tale that the rubber wheels on a car protect you from lightning. Ah. Yeah. What protects you is the metal body of the car, which acts as a Faraday cage. Now, you might be asking yourself, what's a Faraday cage? Well, Dave, a Faraday cage is a metal shell, and due to the laws of electromagnetics, if a large spark or electric field hits the shell, charges will redistribute to ensure the field inside the shell remains zero. And in the case of lightning, the huge current will be guided around the shell and discharged, ideally, onto the ground. The car could be on blocks, and you'd get the same protection. Now, I didn't know this. One issue is that modern cars are less and less metal-bodied these days. So this effect is not as effective as it used to be. And as time goes on, if cars become more and more plastic or fiberglass, it might not be a safe place anymore. That's interesting. Yeah. And you think about like the static electricity with plastic, too. Oh, yeah. It might might have an opposite impact. Wow. Uh, Now, we also mentioned grounding clips. Grounding clips are typically to avoid static buildup that could lead to sparks or static discharge that can damage equipment when working on sensitive equipment for example my field this is steve again my field is radio frequency which is rather sensitive to static shocks you use an anti-static mat and grounding wristband or sometimes even conductive conductive floors and angle straps to avoid building up charge that could fry circuits i've seen folks blow out the front end of a quarter million dollar piece of equipment from not properly using anti-static equipment and practices not discharging a cable before connecting it disclosure the equipment was fixed for about a thousand dollars but still very pricey. Could have been bad. Yeah. So, folks, this is what this is what the symphony is all about, right here. <laughs> we we sort of touch on some semi truthful things, and then the real experts step in. So, Steve, Which, thank you. Keep as it always, coming, man. man. We yeah. fucking love that. And stuff. anybody else who ever wants to chime in, we uh, we appreciate. So that is an example of of what we appreciate from our listeners in terms of feedback. I'm going to give you an example of something that I personally don't appreciate in okay. terms of feedback from our listeners. Okay. And this is going to we're going to we're going to veer off into a little bit of story time we, with Hank. We right got here. a little talking shit. I haven't section, told you about session? this yet. In fact, I kind of need to bust my phone out for a second. Let's do it. Because I got to get some text messages. Uh, oh, dude, going here. So I love, it. I love when you this keep is, surprises. I know this is a uh, this. I, w- I wanted to tell you about it, but I figured it would just be much better content for the pod if I kept it for for this. So uh, we, as we talk about, uh, you know, I'm a single man. I'm on the dating scene, mm-hmm. and uh, sometimes shit happens. So I'm just going to take it back to I think it was February or March of this year. You know, we're still in Pandy's land. No vaccines are out there. I was much more selective about any human being that I would ever meet up with. So mash with a girl. We start texting a little bit. I was on the fence about this person to begin with, but you know, we never met up. So uh, the conversation fizzled out at a certain point. I I could go back. I believe it was March. Fast forward. We never spoke again. It was fine. No hard feelings. It wasn't a ghost situation. We never met. There was just a conversation that fizzled out. So 
Uh, fast forward to uh, Wednesday of this week, and as you know, and many of our listeners might have gathered, I've been dealing with a dying cat. She's doing. I'll, I'll update. She's doing a little bit better right now. She Good. has been eating. Uh, she Good. took a nice solid poop yesterday, so I was Hell excited yeah. about that. Go so. But I have been nursing a cat. I've been dealing with other things that just I just haven't given a shit about a lot of personal things in my life. Mm-hmm. And one of them was getting a random text message from this girl who I mentioned that we had fizzled. So she texted me uh, and I, um, I didn't respond because I was just not even thinking about it. It was, it was in the midst of other shit yeah, going and you're on. Like, this is going to be a whole thing. It was just, I, I wasn't that interested to begin with. I, I saw the text message in one eyeball out the other. I was dealing with fucking, I was probably shoving medicine down my cat's throat. I don't fucking know. She sent me this long thing like blah, 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 want to try it again, blah, blah, blah. And I just forgot to respond. Well, the next day, less than 24 hours later, mind you, she sends me another text message. And this is where I'm going to start reading because she said, is this where it gets gear buds? This is where it gets I'm gear like, buds uh, is this like love corner with Henry right now? You know what? I might just start telling my my dating stories anyway but this does get good that's what's relevant this is where you said out man not even a no thank you very cool very brave and i'm just like hmm. what so i go you have no idea what's going on in my life specifically dealing with my dying cat but sure go off about bravery random internet girl how long did it take you to respond to that one? immediately <laughs> no thank you please go away she goes, apparently not enough to prevent you from matching with me again. I guess I, I didn't oh. realize this. We had matched again on like one of the apps a couple of weeks previously and never mm. spoken. I, and I just like, we never, but she didn't me- message me either. It's not like I, like, that just happens. You get a bunch of matches and you don't fucking message anybody. Okay. That's, that's how these apps go. And I said, yes, animals sometimes die in rapid fashion. There is something wrong with you. Like I said, please go away. I'm not interested. At this point, I'm upset, but I'm also trying to be clear. And then this is where she goes, wow, ableist bullet dodged she called me a fucking ableist which really got my goat because as anybody who really knows me like i'm a fucking bleeding heart leftist would never say shit like that and one of the things i'm most sensitive about in my life is my little brother the r word like i have a, a lot of deep-seated trauma with that sort of stuff so sure. like for, to call me an ableist just shows that you have no fucking idea what you're talking about but here is the piece de resistance because then she followed that up immediately with your podcast is boring as shit ah, <laughs> the knockout blow the knockout blow but she listened but she fucking listened. I know that this girl is not a musician. So why was she even listening to the podcast to begin with? So then I, I responded, that's why you're barking up my tree again. You're a genuine asshole. And then I blocked her. Yeah. Wow. But your podcast is boring as shit. Is I want to get that fucking tattooed on me. Honestly. I mean, you don't have to listen. You, know? you don't have to listen. Yeah. This She was obviously upset. Spur- feeling spurned by me i told her that i wasn't interested i didn't reply to a text message quickly enough again we hadn't spoken in like eight months and we had never even met in person she gave me less than 24 hours to respond and then and then called my shit out so then i'm just gonna be like listen i'm gonna give it right back to you and i was and i was firm but clear it's not like i went mean let it out man i'm i mean, this is, I'm I mean how, how dare you not date this girl just to keep her listening to our podcast so, i know, you know the, we keep, need all the listeners we can we can get you know so. what dave i'm glad you said that because how dare you i'm gonna t- i'm gonna i'm gonna turn it around into some positivity here right. because i uh ran into another one of our listeners this week and this was during a gear sale that i was making because i've been fucking snapping necks and cashing checks yeah, when dude. it comes to deals lately. I know, man. Less and less gear every time I get I know, in. and you may or may not notice that I'm now missing the bass traps and random gobos that I had in the other room that literally I just had to, anytime I wanted to use my oven, I right. had to move out of the way. Uh, I want to give a shout out to our new friend and, and, and turns out a 
long listener, Connor, because Connor, I, uh, this is the first time this has happened to me, Dave. I think I might've even told you about this. I've got gear buds in our, in my email signature was doing a little negotiating with a gentleman and he's like, Oh shit. I know who you are. I listen to your podcast already. There it is. So you lose one, you gain one. You know? Yeah. I, you know, right. And so, and not only that, but not only is he an already a listener, but he happens to be an engineer at the best fucking studio in Chicago. So that made me feel pretty fucking sick. That uh, it made me feel sick. Yes. It made me feel pretty fucking great that yeah. uh, someone at Chicago recording company, CRC is already listening. To our Do you show, want to man. shout out the fella? Oh yeah. His name's Connor Boyle. You can go check him out at CRC. I don't know. All I don't right. actually know if he even wants me to do this, but either way, thanks for it, listening, dude. man. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being a good negotiator. I've, I've got to be honest. He, he was trying to also buy my warm audio mic off me and Ooh, I fucking, that's going to be gave a me, sell. He gave me a very solid offer and I got cold feet and bailed on it. That's a great mic, man. I don't want to get rid of it. That's my, like if I had to buy a mic right now, that would be the one. I know. I and I should say it's on sale as well if you want to buy it new, but man, I don't know. I just, I'm not using it at all, but I still, I just really want to have it. Yeah. Well, because it, you, I, I bet you figure if you sell it, you're going to need something to replace I'm it. I'm going to need something to replace yeah. it. And not that you don't have like some amazing, mics I have too many right? mics already, but that's one that I, I have it is on it the list. For, I don't have a specific uh, lit posting for it. I just have it in my like big long gear list of stuff. That's like some of it's just there to kind of stoke some interest. Yeah. Uh, but I will say he bought the baffles or the baffle and the gobos or I should say baffles and gobo. Cool. And made me. Will very, they be being used at this at this? He's using them at his own as home okay. studio. Very cool. So very fucking cool. Um, Fuck you, random girl. Speaking up, of buying Connor? and selling gear, dude, that is exactly next what I wanted to get into. <laughs> you had yourself a little dipsy do of a uh, I almost bought coaster. a. I almost, I almost bought a seventy three jazz. You tried to. I sure did. What happened? Uh, I got scammed. Yeah, um, baby, so Reaver buyer protection talking, in this the is house. Be talking tips with Dave, I think. Hell uh, yeah. Yeah, touching tips, I guess it would be. But um, yeah, do I get I, to touch it? So found a, uh, you know, I like to refresh my reverb feed throughout the day. You as do as I'm working. It's just kind of a way to get my mind off of, you know, yeah. my work for a minute. This is what we do, and we send each other listings, and that's kind of the all day text messaging back and forth. But um, I sent you something, and I go, I just bought this. You just bought this, and it was a 1973 jazz bass, and it made my wiener move. And it was, I think they had it listed for 780. It was 890 shipped. With tax and all that, and Which, I go as we all know, makes it no would, sense. Would be ridiculous. Yeah, I mean that's thirty five hundred dollars all day, uh, maybe even four grand. I mean the condition it was in, it was I could tell that it was the original sunburst. You know, just beautiful um, early seventies. That real pale yellow in the middle. Yeah, it was it all had, it, it had the marks in the right place. Everything looked right. Everything looked totally right. And the description was: I'm selling this. Uh, the what was it like? The bass player at our church had a stroke. He donated this to the church in Denmark. And it, well, the listing was in Denmark, yes. and um, and then and then the description was very short. It was like we don't know anything about guitars. Yeah. Now, um, one when I see a deal like this pop up, knowing that there's buyer protection, and not even thinking that it could be fake, just thinking that maybe the base might be like a shitty copy or yeah, something. Exactly. Um, I just went ahead and was like, hey, if this isn't a 1973 Fender Jazz bass as listed in the description in the title, I get 100 percent money get your back. Money back. Yeah, I can. I'll have to ship it back, but whatever. Yeah. So I just bought the fucking thing. You did. I said, Fuck it. So I bought it. I sent it to you. I'm all excited. I'm all excited. And well, I was like, well, you know, that means you're going to have to sell it to me too, you motherfucker, because right. I've been wanting a you jazz wanting bass. You've been wanting a jazz bass, I know. And I already have a 62. Have I don't bass. need, you know, but I was like, fuck, this yeah. is so cool. Anyways, now, little side story. Yes. Um, I bought, I've bought a church bass before. 
This I've, you're preseasoned. You're conditioned I'm to conditioned. trust this deal. And here's the things you want to look out with a church listing because a lot of the times these are older folks who don't know anything about mm-hmm. music. This has happened. I bought a 1961 P bass. It was stripped finished, but all original mm-hmm. otherwise. And they had it listed as a 78. It was on. Um, it was on eBay. This was even before Reverb, I think. And. It came with the shittiest pictures I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, I wasn't going to bug them for more pictures, but I was watching it really closely. And I think it was like opening bid was like 1500 or something. Mm-hmm. And I was the only person who bid on it. And like the pictures were like, you couldn't even see the headstock decal. You couldn't see like anything. It was like the back of the base and like a blurry picture of the front. And I go to myself, I think to myself, well, I'm like, well, if this is a 78, it's going to have a skunk stripe in the back because mm-hmm. it's Rosewood. And I go, all right, it doesn't. So that means it's like pre 73 or something like that. And I'm like, all right, let's fucking just roll the dice. We'll buy this thing. If it's not what it says it is, I get 100% Got that buyer protection. Because if not, you still might even end up with a sweet fucking base. Yeah, for 1500 bucks, yeah. even if it was the 70s or whatever. But I knew that I knew it couldn't be because of the neck. And it had the Parker, uh, I think it was Parker, the bodyguard on the back. You know, those, oh, the plastic yeah, thing? yeah, right. And I saw that and I go, well, they only made those in like the mid-60s or something. Dude, even those on their own are fucking expensive. Well, I tried to sell it. I couldn't get like 50 bucks for oh, it. Oh, really? Yeah, it was like Wow, those go for it. a lot of money right now. I think now, yeah, this was a while. This yeah. was like, you know, over 10 years ago. But anyways, uh, long story short, I bought the fucking thing. It turned out to be a 61, all original, mm. except for the finish. I was like, this is crazy. I just bought a 61 P-Base from a church, 1600 bucks. It had like the little, um in the case, it had the guy had like little business cards for like the church that I guess he would probably pass oh, out or something. Cool. I love stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, it was just little cool little things like the price tags for like some repair or setup or something. Anyways, go back to this story church base see it listed boom bought it well then i'm scrolling through oh then i type in i'm like well let me compare prices to see how much this will be worth yeah. if i decide to flip it then i see another listing for a 1973 jazz base from denmark in same a different city pictures. same description same photos and and i would say the photos of this were really shitty it was like laying they on were, a bed yeah. it was just like the front and just the back there were like two or three photos oh and the, one of the headstock mm-hmm. so i was like okay this all this all makes sense for a church listing like yeah. they don't take like amazing photos I'm like, all right, this now this is getting weird because then I see this listing again. And this one isn't 780, it's 700 free shipping. And it was in like accessories or something, right? It, it was listed under right. like under like amp covers yeah, in right. accessories, like very specific. And I'm like, oh, maybe they mislisted it and like posted it twice. That yeah. could happen because it was also from Denmark, but now it was a different city in Denmark. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, this is weird. Both profiles and, and two different profiles, I should say. Both profiles have uh, zero feedback, zero yep. stars, zero anything, no other listings. This is, it. this is when your stomach's really starting to drop. And I'm like, God damn it, this is getting weird. Well, then I go on eBay, and and I'm keeping you up to date with yeah, all of so, this yeah. as it goes, because I'm, I'm so excited, but I'm also sweating. And I'm like, oh, this sucks now. I think this is, you know, I'm pretty sure this is fake. Then I go on eBay, and I look at completed listings. Mm-hmm. And I go, completed listings, 1973 Jazz Bass. Sure enough, there it is. There's, the I think, what is the real listing. Yep. And the guy, of course, and this makes more sense. They listed it for like twenty five thousand dollars or something. Yeah, of course not. But it was like the it was that description, those photos, and it was somebody in New York who had other stuff for sale. And I'm like, okay, so they stole this, and somebody made an offer and bought that for who knows how much they paid for it. So that sold. Somebody took these photos and everything, and then listed it. So I, I mean, I've got a couple of questions. What what do you th- what is the end game in a scam like? I this? have no idea. What do you try to? What are you going going to possibly gain? Because as you as you've said. Reverb has very unbelievable buyer protection. Unbelievable buyer protection. I can't. Oh, here's the other thing. Right before I uh, go into the story about how I contacted him, I saw uh, this popped up on my feed a 1973 Stratocaster Sunburst. Did I send this to you? You did, yeah. For like 700 bucks. Exactly. And it was on the same bed, flipped over both times. Mm -hmm. So, like, the same person sold it, 
And it was another fake listing. And this, the description was different in this one, but it had like the specs. And then it had the thing where it was like a run on sentence and it just ended. Yeah, exactly. Where like somebody didn't copy and paste the entire thing. Or Probably something. didn't even speak English, honestly. Yeah. Um, so so but it, again, what are you, what could you possibly get out of this? I don't know because I contacted Reverb and I go, well, first I contacted him about the second listing. So mm-hmm. that was my first contact. I flagged that listing. I was like the one that was 700 bucks. Yeah, right. I go, hey, this, I think this is a, this might be a fraudulent listing. I just purchased what is the other listing of this exact exact same mm-hmm. base and i just want to let you guys know so i flagged it and like an hour later it was gone um it, but i think somebody might have actually bought it so i hope that i hope to that person they got their money back could you but uh, could you like what could you get sh- the shipping like what what, what money could they w- get out of so this? according to reverb the only thing they don't reimburse is shipping costs now that's assuming they ship you an instrument you get it you don't like it and you want to yeah, ship it right. back you get your money back but you have to pay to ship it back to the buyer or the seller mm-hmm. um and that's that's all fine and dandy, but for a fraudulent listing, they I think they would have to cover all of it, right? I think so. I don't know in this particular case because the shipping was included in the price. So yeah. the only thing I paid for was tax, which I st- they gave me all that back too. Yeah. So I contacted Reverb. I was like, hey, I think I got a fraudulent listing. Um, I sent them the you know order number, this and that. They write me back like within an hour. They were great. And the guy's like, yeah, you, you're just going to want to contact PayPal because we can't do anything with like the actual reversal of the charge, mm-hmm. but we'll mark it. So if PayPal looks into it. They'll know it was fake and like it's all connected, right? So I call PayPal and PayPal's great. I don't know if you've ever dealt with them before. I did. I did uh, internationally I, for some reason. You I can. Remember. I was like in Italy or it's something. It's one of the few websites for, for a company as big as it is. You can call and talk to somebody on the phone. Love that. And they are so friendly, man. This lady, I think her name was Kathy. Shout out Kathy. What up, Kathy? So nice. And she's like literally like the most polite person I've ever talked to on the phone, like for customer mm-hmm. service. And she's like, okay, well, tell me what happened. Can you? And she has to write in her description, like describe like how the transaction went down. And all this stuff, and um, within minutes they refunded all of the money, and it's killing them with kindness. Puts it right back on the card. Didn't even yeah. have to go to my PayPal account or anything. So I'm refunded. I'm good. But goddamn it, I want a 73 jazz bass. Now. Well, Dave, I, I've got to ask: Do we feel like we've learned anything from this? No, no. Here's so the either. thing, and that's kind of the tale of the story here. Don't. I would still. I would still roll the dice. Yeah. I think it's worth it to roll the dice on a fraudulent listing because for that kind of money, for that with that kind of protection, I don't think there's. Yeah, I don't think you did anything wrong. Had I not, have I not scored three vintage Fender bases for all well under what they were worth because I thought it could have been a fraudulent listing? Mm-hmm. I would have never gotten them. So roll the dice. True. Real, I really. I mean, when it comes down to it. There are there were of course a number of red flags, yeah. right? Like any like you even said, you're like, well, it seems too good to be true. Yep, usually, it usually is. is, and that's a that's absolutely. here's the thing. I was kind of thinking about this just now. You know, you mentioned the the photos being the same photos as this eBay listing. Yeah, that isn't necessarily a deal breaker because no. sometimes if someone has taken well, especially if they're really good photos, you might just want to reuse those when you yeah. sell the thing yourself. Granted, you saw that it was listed for twenty five thousand dollars. Somebody probably offered three grand or whatever. Yeah, and the story conflicts with what is already known. About about this instrument and it was yeah and also that that date of the ebay listing was from like august 8th so i'm like there's no way somebody bought this and flipped it that fast Took for, like a for way less money yeah i mean even if they bought it for three thousand like right. why would you sell anything for 800 bucks so uh yeah but i mean look i mean i bought that 75p i think i got that for like 750 or something there like it is that. um i had to put new pickups in it yeah but uh you know the uh, deals can happen still the deals folks. can happen people and that's what i'm saying don't give up they are few and far between, but um, there's still. I out think. There. I guess maybe the lesson is that it's it's worth refreshing your feed during the day. Sometimes, if you're if you're following stuff, if you've got saved searches, maybe just give when, it a, give it a little refresh. When I was when I was on hard, well, I mean that's how I scored a '65 Jaguar for fourteen hundred dollars, right? Thirteen twenty five, I think it was. Um, 
but that's the thing about I used to do uh, when I was like really hardcore into buying mm-hmm. and selling. I would have uh, Google ha- Google Chrome has an auto refresh right. uh, option extension thing, and I turned that sucker on, and like every ten seconds, it was refreshing my page. I highly recommend that. That's a fucking move right yeah, there. That's a power move. That's a power tip. Yeah, and that's then I had power. Like, that's not even touch and tip. That's touching three the different. Whole thing. I do like reverb because you can put everything into one feed, right? So everything you're looking mm, for can be in sure. one. With eBay, I don't know if they do it like that, but you you have to have multiple tabs open. So I'm searching like the guitars and basses category. I'm searching the vintage category. I'm searching all categories. So there was like a lot more work when it came to looking for hmm. stuff on eBay and everything. But interesting. Yeah. So um, you know, roll the dice, people. Roll them. Uh, here we go. Let's keep it moving. Uh. Uh, you know there are like i'm not going to get into these individually maybe like slightly but there are a number of paul mccartney stories that have been in in the news this week really and i think it's because he's got like new a new book coming out okay but there have been let's see uh there was well this this kind of started a while ago but it's come back up where uh, i don't know if you saw that paul mccartney referred to the rolling stones as a blues cover band (laughs) that happened sort of recently he's not that wrong and he sort of shot that salvo in the media and then mick jagger responded in a funny way and and so that's been kind of interesting and then also uh again another story popped up where because i think for us beatles nerds like most people kind of have have blamed paul for the breakup because he was the first person to acknowledge it Hmm. like in in he was the first person in the media to say like someone asked if the beatles were breaking up and he said yes Oh well, he confirmed that it was actually John that started it. He's like that. John came in. It first, sounds like so. more of a John thing to do. Totally, because Paul was always like the. I felt like he was always the energy behind everything. Yeah, like, they were all kind of done with it at that point. It yeah. turns out. It but turns then there out, was the whole Yoko thing too. So it's right. like that's got to be on John. But I guess Paul was, has also okay. said something that, and then also uh, he clear, cleared up the Eleanor Rigby graveyard tale. Really? Uh, turns out there was no Eleanor Rigby in the graveyard. The, the, they they would often hang out in that graveyard, but the he, he I I don't remember. But he's specifically in this book that's coming out soon, where I think it's like nine hundred pages, and <laughs> he goes through like every song he ever wrote. He talks about how he got to the name Eleanor Rigby and well, all that kind of glad stuff. Glad he waited fifty three years. To, yeah. Uh, go ahead so and uh, that for, juicy detail for, for the for the Beatles fanatics out there, there's a lot of Paul content uh, your way and a lot more coming. And also, we out. are excited. Just a reminder. Get Get Back is going to be Get Back is coming, and we are going to spend a lot of time talking yeah. about it. Uh, one last thing here for the symphony. Uh, I don't know if you saw this, but this is what I would see uh, say was a BFI that turned into a GFI, which are my favorite ways to handle these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my favorite Chicago bands, Russian Circles, had oh, I saw all that. their fucking gear stolen recently. in California, right? Yeah, yeah. And it was dude. like a lot of. They must stuff. have just taken the whole trailer or something. I right? think so. It, the only thing that it seemed like they didn't get was the drum kit, but yeah. they got like amps and guitars, all like, and they play. You know, vintage Les Pauls and like custom oh, yeah. electrical guitar yeah. company guitars and all this kind of stuff. Well, Dave, we get to turn that frown upside down because yeah. uh, someone, one of their fans or friends, started a GoFundMe for them, and it was for sixty thousand dollars, and it's already been exceeded. They awesome. already shut down the funding. Great, and wow. this was within like a couple of days. That's so. Great. The band's gear theft has seen a huge outpouring of support. EGC already built Brian Cook, their bass player, a yep, new guitar. I saw that. Um, and it, within 17 hours of being live, they raised sixty-two thousand dollars for the band. Jeez. So they've already. And I guess they're in, they didn't realize, but their insurance had lapsed, so yeah. the stuff wasn't even covered. They had just had a full European tour canceled because of COVID. They had their the shows that they were in California to play got canceled like the day of because so of COVID. 
I think so. Yeah, it was. I don't know what actually. They, there weren't details on the LA yeah. shows while it, while it got canceled, but the, it was just like no, one they lost money thing from the European the other. thing. Yeah, I heard that. And then yeah. right after, boom, Jeez. companies stepping up and their fans um, stepping up. And, and, I, and, and I like to see too. Shit. I've seen like some of the comments are like you know um, some pedal manufacturers, like smaller boutique people, yep. like, people who collect a lot I of think stuff. Earthquaker devices, Earthquaker, and, and like there was shit. some other like I thought there was just some guy who like you know might have a podcast or like collect or something. Um, but he was just like any any of these pedals you want to like I'll like literally ship them to you guys wow. like so uh, I love to see that that kind of um, outpouring of, yeah me of too it there. says a lot about what that band how they've built their fan base too because it's not like they've ever been some massive major label band I mean no. they're a fucking three piece instrumental metal band basically yeah. and they've been touring ever shit since as far as I know since the early two thousands yeah so uh, they have a very strong grassroots fan base yeah. and they showed up for them yeah, I mean, dude. it was pretty pretty exciting to see in fact i i would have donated to that gofundme I, by the time i even found out about it, it and got to closed. it it was already shut down yeah, yeah. so uh, you know i guess i didn't have to drop them five bucks or whatever but i definitely would have i saw something um it was interesting and i guess this makes sense but i wanted to ask you about this actually they had a lot of microphones stolen they did, yeah. They they tour with their own. They stuff. They tour with their own stuff, and yeah. I think that's interesting because I would never even think. I mean, I guess if you have your own sound guy and your own yeah. board and stuff, but it sounds like they really, they would really set it up. It totally. wasn't just like whatever the house had. No, and and that that is pretty common. Is it with especially? I think at that level. it makes a lot of sense with a band at that level when they're not singing too, because so like everything about their so sound important. is about how it's being translated through the PA. That's so a good point. They definitely have very specific needs and requirements and multiple mics on yeah. each drum and on each cabinet and all that sort of stuff too so that makes sense uh yeah you're right though that was that, that definitely stuck it out was to like me a, too. it was like a dozen mics stolen i was like who travels with and a all dozen really mics? good stuff yeah 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 it wasn't just like 57s that are easily replaceable which yeah. there probably were some in there too i can't remember but, but there, yeah there, there was, was some high, high end, end yeah. high end shit in there wow that was a great symphony yeah dude. Uh, so now i get to say my two favorite words that i get to say every single week dave you know what those words are mm-hmm. dave 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 dave's docs and hank's docs too yeah and baby hank's docs too oh man i'm so excited oh so i have notes but i, I kind of don't want to get them out i kind of just want to rap about this let's one. rap a little bit i also took some notes i'll pull too. some out just yeah. to kind of like reference so i don't like mispronounce anybody's uh name so this is a funny one because it was a couple days ago I happened to notice a review for this particular documentary and I was like, Dave, I didn't read this review, but here's, here's a thing that I, that I feel like you should check out. And you sent me a little giffy gifts, like with like a little eye creeping out from behind the wall. And you're like, well, maybe if you watch that one too, we can talk about it. Which is always fun for me. Cause, um, you know, I feel like sometimes I'm talking at you about a documentary and I want to, I want to just converse. Let's talk with each other. What is it? What's a doc? Uh, so it's called the velvet underground. Yes. It's a brand new documentary. Just came out like last week and it's on Apple TV. Apple if anybody TV. has Apple TV, you can stream it. Um, fucking cool band, dude. Oh, my First God. First of all, when they go back to like, okay, so, you know, for I'm, I'm hoping most people know, but like they formed in what, like the mid 60s, basically. Yeah. So they they kind of this was an interesting one for me because I I've loved I accidentally got into them at a young enough age where like I was pretty obsessed for a while. Okay. So, uh, but I didn't really know the whole story, but I guess they kind of, they sort of formed out of a band called the primitives yes. essentially, right. uh, in that whole mid sixties, New York city, Andy Warhol factory scene. I mean, what was cooler than the late fifties to mid sixties in New York city? I don't know if there's anything, honestly. Nothing cool. I mean, it was literally the hub of everything going down art-wise. It was the coolest. There was a line in the be. movie that jumped out at me. It was like, this wasn't, like, 
I think it might have even been Allen Ginsberg saying it. It was like this wasn't subculture or counterculture. This was the, culture. The, yeah, exactly. Um, fuck, man. It was so cool. So this was kind of new to me because I knew I've known Lou Reed and like, you mm-hmm. know, I've listened to Velvet Underground, but I never really knew the players. Um, yeah. I didn't know they had a female drummer. Mo oh, Tucker. That was fucking cool, Super man. badass, yeah. So badass. And she was one of the only members who really stayed throughout the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, they kind of had some people come in and out, which that was one of the things the documentary sort of glossed over. There yeah. was a there was a bit more in their latter era, which is frankly the least interesting part for me anyways. Yeah. But the main, yeah, I guess the main sort of core of the band was Lou Reed, John Cale, Sterling Morrison, Mo Tucker, and then eventually Nico joined as well. Uh, when they were showing footage from that guy, John Cage, who was like, oh he would just God, set up yeah. microphones and, and like pour glasses of water yes. and like it started chopping into a, a piano with a with an axe. He was so famous for that. And and it was, I loved, I, I've listened and, and I've heard a lot of the John Cage stuff and I've yeah. seen it performed, but it was really funny to see it performed on television and they're, everyone's yeah. still just like so wearing up. like fancy suits and yep, stuff. Everybody and he's just like fucking breaking yeah smashing glasses and, stuff, yeah. And, and just like and then he would just like smoke a cigarette and it's like almost like that excuse me almost like that um what is it asmr stuff totally early asmr yeah, stuff for right. sure it's he john like cage was really stuff. known for the the prepared piano was one of his main things um i i just man there was so much cool stuff about this uh i didn't know that uh lou reed went to syracuse for a while and that's actually where he like met like his first band members basically yeah. dude or how about the fact that and we're just going to jump all over the place yeah, here let's but do it. The his he had his first song, his first record on the radio at the age of fourteen. Yeah, and he has a quote because obviously he's been dead for a while now. But he has a quote that's, and that's one of the nice things about the documentary. It's all the people that were there. I mean, obviously most of them or a lot of them have been dead for a while. But mm-hmm. there was he like his voice telling the story about how he made he got a royalty check for that first record that ever got played on the radio oh, yeah. for like two dollars and fifty cents, and that was more money than he ever made than his they entire ever time made in the Velvet Underground. In the yeah, that's so cool. Um, I, I thought it was neat how uh, they kind of referenced this apartment they lived in, 25 Ludlow Street. Oh, on Ludlow, yeah. And I looked it up, and it's still there. Is it really? It's still available. For no $5,000 a month, you can And they said it was $25 a month back then. Yes. Yeah, I believe that's what he was Because one of the guys was $25 saying. $25.88, like right. specifically. Well, he said that he wanted to, He, I don't remember who it was, but one of the like filmmakers that lived there said that he didn't. He no longer wanted to participate in, in capitalist society, yeah. so he found the cheapest apartment he could find. And yeah. now, like you said, it's fucking $5,000. 5000 5, a month, oh and it's God. literally just like a studio. Yeah. I mean, it's just one big room, and they call it an art loft, you know? Um, I thought it was cool. So they moved in there. Uh, John Cale moves in with, an, uh, with a composer who I forget his yeah, name. Yeah, right. But they basically they start jamming together um, because he was a violin player first. Viola, yeah. Viola specifically. And uh, they would tune to the 60 cycle hum of the refrigerator, which fucking... God, that was was fucking wild. So crazy to me. But then they they go into an explanation of why. Yeah, because it was... They're all... They're really interested. And I didn't know this part in exploring natural harmonics. Yes. And so they they were... They even said it's like... It's not like we're getting out a tuner and like everyone get tuned to A or whatever, which I guess... The sixty cycle hum I, that is a pitch. I don't know what it is off the top of my head, mm-hmm. but yeah, there it was more. They were doing these long experiments where they would just play a drone for like an hour and a half, and then you can kind of stop hearing the notes and you start hearing everything else around it. And man, that was really inspirational for, for me. And I was fucking yeah. sober as shit watching this. Yeah, too, but I kind of felt like I was getting a little bit of a contact high. Yeah, and I will say for this documentary, um, for you know people who haven't seen, it, to me it wasn't a it wasn't like the Rick James documentary. It was just like telling a story mm-hmm. with like some footage and some pictures. The way it was shot and the way it was edited oh and put together God. was beautiful. It was insane. Todd Haynes made it. I felt like as I was watching it, and I've been to a lot of, I'll say this, I've been to a lot of modern art museums, and usually modernist art is not my bag, baby. Sure. Like I, I tend to gravitate more, unless it's photography. I, I will 
amend that. I tend to gravitate more towards the, uh, you know, like Renaissance masters yeah. and that sort of thing. Generally, a lot of times I'll go to, or, or I should say even a contemporary art museum. And I'm just like, what the fuck are they trying to do? Sure. As I was watching this documentary, I felt like I was in a contemporary art museum yes. watching an installation, but one that I've wanted to keep watching. Yeah. They did a lot of stuff where it was too or more images happening at the same time like split on the screen, screen thing almost, yeah. which was, I thought interesting because a lot of the old footage, of course that wasn't widescreen to begin with. So it was a way to like use yep. the whole screen, but it was also this way of, of kind of tricking you into having this experience beyond just uh, like you said, like a, a linear documentary. Yeah. It was, it was this, it was, it felt like art or like a scene specifically where um, like Lou Reed would be narrating cause they would take old audio clips mm-hmm. of him talking about the band and it'd just be a close up of his face. But right. it's like not just a photo. It's like, he's probably Andy Warhol probably shot it. Exactly. Or and he's just like, looking around and blinking and like, it's just so cool. Like the way they kind of put all that together. That's one of the great things about this documentary too, is that they had so much much archival footage from back then, because that was one of the things they talk about at the factory. And I've, and I've watched some documentaries about the factory and that whole scene, but you know, you think about like, Oh, studio 54, which was later. And and like, Mm -hmm. you think about like the drugs and the partying, but the factory was like they went there to work. They called it the factory yeah. because they were making work. They you didn't was, go there to just get fucked up. No, there was there, like Lou Reed tells a story about how he'd go there and Andy would be like, "Oh, what did you do today?" And he's like, "Well, I wrote ten songs." Yeah. And he's like, "Well, why are you so fucking lazy? Why, why didn't, didn't you write, write 15? fifteen songs?" Yeah, it's wild. Man. Yeah, yeah. I love that was for me extraordinarily inspirational. Yeah, I I I want to start my own factory. I want to yeah. create a space where people come and do work and create stuff. Yeah, I mean. Um, yeah, and that's kind of the cool thing too. You don't have to be a fan of the band to enjoy this movie because right. I thought like it was just a multimedia event, you know, with um, you know, a lot of talk about art and, and Andy Warhol if you ever like liked him and I didn't realize his involvement with the band was so deep. I don't think I knew that he was instrumental, no pun intended based on what I'm going to say, but right. I didn't realize that like, there's a point when they sort of had their split later on. Yeah. And Lou Reed says he's like, yeah, people literally thought Andy Warhol played lead guitar in the band yeah. and that yeah. was like a challenge for us and because I, it was this whole like is it Andy or is it the music? Well, all the things were like, you know, it would be like Andy Warhol presents, you know, yep. and it was like kind of like his tour. I mean, I didn't know he paid for their first record. Yeah. And they, there was the line. It's something like he's like, yeah, he Andy Andy Warhol produced it in that he was standing in the room and breathing. Yeah. But he didn't actually produce it. Yeah, but it's but because, presence, right? because he was there they were afforded the opportunity not to be produced by some, you know, engineer who was trying to get them to fit into a box or something like that, which I thought was fucking dope for sure. I thought, um, God, there's some, there's so, so, so ugh, there's so many really cool tie-ins with mm-hmm. like um, Mothers of Invention. Oh obviously. yeah, and they hated, they, they hated, hated each other. Yeah, yeah, because they were like the West Coast hippies or whatever. But I mean, and, even like, though they the shredded their instruments and like Velvet Underground, like we talked about before, we even got on the mics, they would just like play a drone and yeah, and like their chords. Like you said, you've you've covered them in bands and stuff. It's like often just like three it's chords or four music. chords a whole song. But man, when you listen to it, and they talk about this in the documentary too, there's so many layers of what's going yes. on that it's not just a three chord, you know, there's like overtone or whatever. And, yeah. There's so many like, fuzz solos happening in the background or like mm-hmm. a long viola drone mm-hmm. happening. There was all sorts of stuff like that, that I, I think that's one of the, my main takeaways from it is that we get so much, so much of our art is quickly packaged and commercialized these days that the velvets, they were allowed to develop for yeah. a long time Let it breathe. And, and, and become something more than just the sum of its parts. And I, and I, and I'm afraid that we don't get a lot of that these days. No. Um, no. And I think because a lot of it now is just looked at as like contrived, like they mm-hmm. were doing something completely original. At this they time. absolutely were. And, and it still is when you listen to it. Yeah. Like there are yeah. some pop songs in there. Yeah. 
but man, they were they nothing has ever sounded like them. I didn't realize. So this was this was kind of news to me, and what I really took away from it. So when Andy Warhol started doing the Uptight uh, Festival, mm. which was a multimedia festival where the band would be playing, they would have projectors of his movies playing on top of the band and kind of behind them yep. with no sound, and the band would be providing whatever music they're Im- improvising at the time, and then also people dancing, and then also people like painting and making mm-hmm. art. And it was this big multimedia experience. And that was the first time they ever had like music with projectors and people dancing and like, so it was like a show, but it was also like in interactive in a way. It was. And some of the people that they talked about or they talked to about that didn't like it. They're like, why are you projecting polka dots on the velvets when like they, because they fucking looked cool. They were kind of ugly other than Nico, who was an actual model and they looked cool, but they fucking looked cool. cool. They were, they described her as an a glacier standing among the darkness. Like they were all all wearing all black. And then she's just like this blonde, beautiful, they got the siren, the beetle boots and the tight trousers. Yeah. But they fucking looked cool. Yeah. They looked as cool as you can look in the mid sixties. Um, so I, yeah, I thought that was such a cool thing. Now here's, now here's the thing I want to get into a little bit. Mm-hmm. They didn't mention, and I'm a little disappointed. And I, I, now I don't know the relationship between these bands, but they didn't mention early Pink Floyd at That's, all. In the at all. Movie. Yeah. And I'm going to myself, I've seen some early, early footage like Sid Barrett era Pink Floyd, yeah. even, even like when they first formed and they were kind of doing that too, with like the projectors yeah. and like the sound and making yeah. like really just crazy noises. That's true. I maybe because it was like across the pond kind of situation. I they think were so. Maybe like the Velvets were the the American Floyd yeah. or vice versa but or the something. The fact like that, that. They, I guess they didn't even mention the name in the entire documentary. I have I to like, wonder, yeah, if there what kind of crossover there would have been because yeah. they were definitely contemporary. And Floyd came to America and played. Of course, I mean, yeah. You know, so it wasn't like they had never heard. They of never them. really talked about the Velvets going over to the UK, which no. seems like it would have been a natural sort of fit. But I, I don't know if they ever really did that. That's yeah. a really. I didn't think about that at all. That's a good call. Yeah, yeah. I just thought it was because because they were saying like, oh, they were the only people in the world like doing this kind of thing, and then I'm like, well, maybe they said the US, but. But yeah. like, I'm like, well, you know, Pink Floyd. That's interesting too because they they did talk. They go, went into depth with that first tour that they did, and there was one quote I think I wrote down. It was like uh, I think it was Mo Tucker said she's like, oh, only half the people left. We must have been good tonight. Like there was just like no one <laughs> yeah. really knew what to make of it outside of New York and that well, whole scene. They would go to like small towns like right. you know Grand Rapids, Michigan, or something. Exactly. And it was like they did call a house. They're like they did mention that Chicago got it, which made me feel yeah, Chicago nice. got and it. Like, yeah. And then I love the story when they go to the West Coast. Yeah, exactly. And they're on they're on they're at the Playing pool with, like, the at their hotel. And, and, shit. and they're all wearing like black jeans and uh-huh. black t-shirts and they're sitting at the pool and they just looked ridiculous i could just picture that so it was much. i think one of the main things that i got out of it is that they it, a lot of times you'll watch something like that and be like oh they were ahead of their time and i don't and i i, I don't feel like they were i feel like they kind of just like transcended time i feel like I they feel were like in they, their time if they came out right now it would still be weird and outside and different if we didn't have them to compare it to exactly yeah, right, yeah. of course 100 yeah, yeah. yeah no absolutely man they were they were truly doing something very very unique and i yeah there's not a lot of moments there's not a lot of documentaries i watch where somebody's like completely making up their own style and, no and, and the, well they they sort of talk about too and this was i guess i mean it makes sense when you listen to their them from a musical standpoint how they were definitely really influenced by rock and roll like they were this outsider artist yep. collective 
but there is the one scene and dude i actually had this i actually this is the only time i did it i stopped the documentary and rewound it and went back to it because i needed to find out what the song was there was a scene where they showed fucking bo diddley playing yeah and it was the coolest fucking thing i've ever seen because yep. he had this it was like him playing that weird really weird ugly gretch bo diddley and then he i don't know who the bass player was but then he had this like beautiful black woman also playing the bo diddley guitar and it's yeah. just like I, yeah that felt so ahead of its time that right. it, it stuck out so then i went back rewound it did a little shazam and that was a live take of the song called oh i didn't write the song to, oh roadrunner okay and yeah. i now i'm gonna go back and listen to that oh shit. yeah it dude. was so fucking cool well i mean the common denominator in all these movies i mean you talk about the stones documentaries yeah. you know and the, the bill my bill wyman one specifically he remembers bo diddley seeing bo diddley in a movie theater yeah. like um yeah they talked about their influences were uh bo diddley the everly brothers hank williams and of course the beatles yeah so you know i thought that was just and that was more from like that was a lot of like lou reed's influences from like the songwriting aspect of it like the lyrics right. and stuff you know because he was he was just working at some like shitty shitty uh, record label as a songwriter turning out like hits you know, not even hits but just like here's a record for 99 cents that has 12 surf songs or yeah. 12 sad songs or whatever yeah it. it's wild but yeah. they re- he really was uh an amazing musician i mean i didn't know he was like classically trained a piano at like 10 years old and yeah. like, picked up guitar and i loved the, the scene where he picked up guitar and like what was it like they didn't they, they were basically like we don't you know you can't play that or something like you can't play that around here or something i don't like remember that. that it was like when he first picked up guitar i'm trying to think of the story now it was a long documentary. It was a lo- it was two hours yeah. for sure. Um, there were I didn't I mean it makes sense I guess thinking about it, but there were a couple things like they talked about him being just especially in the earlier days before the Velvets, he was just like a really fucking shitty band leader to be around. Like yeah. he would if anyone missed a change, he would like turn around and fucking scowl at them or like knock their drums over. Or Tough whatever. guy to work with. And I there was imagine. one they're they were talking about one at one point where he like pu- punched his hand through a glass one, door or something like that. And yeah, he was like, well I can't play now. And they're like, well you should just sing anyways because you're a shitty guitar player like it was this, <laughs> this like acrimony all the time with him but yeah man, he really did write some fucking incredible songs oh, for dude. sure yeah and i'm glad that, i mean they touched on the drugs and like they talked about they how didn't that played like a part. show him like shooting no up they didn't stuff. glorify but he was on heroin but, like pretty much his whole yeah life. i mean they played the song heroin a number of times in the movie yeah you know, like but that. even they were talking about like how he was crank uh not cranky but he was like depressed on the phone yeah and this is early i mean this is when he's like not even in college or right. something and he's like you know, and she's like, he was, he was probably on a lot of drugs. He was probably on a lot of drugs. That's right. Yeah. I think and that was so, his sister talking about it. Yeah. So you're kind of like, all right, they did, they touched on it, but they didn't like, it wasn't like some of the documentaries I've seen where it's like the whole movie is just about drugs. No, right? not at all. Dude, honestly, I feel like we could say so much about it. It, it, I'm not going to say it's the best because I just watched it, but it, it's one of the best music documentaries I've ever watched in my life. Yeah. We're just playing documentaries, period, honestly. Yeah, that, that was kind of what I was saying. Like, you don't have to love the band to enjoy yeah. it, um, especially the way it's shot. I mean, you could almost put the footage on in the background with the music playing. and like, It was beautiful. You don't even need to really watch it. It's like a good background kind of thing if you want. And I, the one other thing I noticed is that in a lot of movies, like, they'll you know the credits will just sort of run through and they actually did a good job of like the credits they they said who each person was and then even gave them a little description like hey they put out this many solo records and this is what they did like all the people that had a main part in the movie you got a little bit extra commentary about what they did and what they contributed which i really appreciated that because there were definitely i mean yes of course there are a lot of people in there that i knew but then there are like you know jackson brown and shit but there are a lot of people that i had never heard of before and it's like oh here's all the shit that they did they were in the you know the whatever the dance troupe that they had and they were always at the right. factory whatever it was they gave a lot of good background on that yeah they had a lot of people telling the story yeah. and that's what's really cool like some docs are just like one narrator no or, there was no narrator no it wasn't it was just people telling the pe- everyone stories. who was there including john kale and all those folks um 
It was fucking awesome, man. I uh, I enjoyed it. I'm glad you watched it too, so we got to talk about it together. Um, yeah, me too, man. Any uh, any other any other things in your notes that you wanted I mean, to get out? I didn't know that uh, Jackson Brown was uh, Nico's guitar player for her nope. like her album. I had no idea. Yeah, I, did, I actually didn't know she had like side projects and stuff. So that's kind of cool. Um, no, man. I just thought it was just fucking. It was a full doc, man. Like the whole thing. Um, it was really sad that they, most of them died at really young ages. Yeah. I mean, she died at 50 with like a brain aneurysm. Brain aneurysm, yeah. Um, somebody else had Hodgkin's lymphoma. And then, yeah, well, Lou, he died in his like early seventies from liver failure or something like that. Which was like, I think if you make it to your early seventies, you know, as a And you're fucking Lou Reed. Yeah. Yeah, That's, that's pretty good run. So, uh, yeah, dude, fucking awesome. I'm definitely going to go and download some, uh, or Spotify, some Velvet Underground. I don't have any vinyl. Well, they, they, it's really, I mean, for me, it's, it's, it's the, you know, the banana album whatever you want to call yeah. it the one with nico and then white light white heat those are the two that you yeah. gotta listen to there is some live stuff and some later stuff of course that came out but for me those are the records that i really only care about and then there i mean of course like the, i like some john kale stuff i like some of the solo Lou Reed, but it's term, in terms of the velvets it's those two records yeah i was trying to think of the one that was um that was more poppy the name of it and i wrote it down i thought in here but uh it had like the white cover with like the clouds coming out of the Totally. purple clouds all over that's it. the one that had i think sweet jane on it maybe yeah and yeah oh loaded Eyes. loaded yeah, yeah exactly. that actually that's got some like more pop songs it does it was funny how they transitioned to this like you know three chord pop thing after yeah. a while you know but hearing that when you hear the experimental shit when they're kind of playing it live and they're they're playing clips of it and stuff but then you hear the record when it's recorded yep. like their first record and you're like oh that now they sound like a band like I, I, as long as we're on this subject yeah. i feel like gear buds there was some pretty good gear spotting Great gear spotting. A lot of us uh, saw some three thirty five action. Three thirty five. That was ladder Lou Reed. He played Gretches early on. Yep. There was a lot of Silvertone amps. I noticed a lot of the um, the crappy like Japanese you know guitars. Exactly. I, I noticed some Ludwig drums all the time. Yeah. Oh, but she, Mo, she had a very interesting way. I mean, eventually she sort of played a normal drum kit, but like she would play with the kick drum turned up and would play it with her hands. Oh, cool. You know what I mean? Yeah. So instead, more like a floor tom kind yeah. of situation. So it was not, eventually, I I didn't notice that. Yeah, eventually she would go play like a, a more sort of standard kit, but like, especially the early days, it was pretty much all like hitting mallets on an upturn. Yeah. Her style, drum. she's, I mean, I don't know in the drum world how, you know, recognized she is. I'm mm-hmm. sure pretty big to a lot of people. Yeah. I didn't know much about her and her simplicity of her drum beats makes those songs. Like, they talk about her like learning Bo Diddley songs early on yeah. and stuff. And it was just like, yeah, though she was perfect for the whole thing yeah i do love the stories how like they kind of all met and um they just be like oh i was just walking down the street and like i ran into an old friend and like mm-hmm. he came up and now he lives in new york city and like yeah. people could just like wander around i'm like this city was still huge in the 60s right. like you just wander around and bump into people all the time i guess if that's the art district at the time like the yeah, lower, east lower east side, side then you could i guess run into people and stuff but it was just funny to me like you know, it even goes back to like the Stones, and they're like, "Oh, you know, they met on like a train. Like, had they not, they're going to see a local skiffle group." Yeah, exactly. Dude, all right, what do you got? With any sort of completely arbitrary rankings for um, us? I loved it. Yes, uh, I want to watch it again. I feel like I didn't take enough in, so mm-hmm. I gave it nine out of ten bananas. Ooh, I was hoping you were gonna say bananas. <laughs> were you? Yeah, dude. What about you? You get to, you get to rate it. Uh, solid nine for sure. Yeah, I yeah, like you said, I think maybe with another watch, I might even give it a ten. I would uh because it was that good and i only just watched it the one time but it is definitely something that again there's so much that visually that happened that you know i was trying to pay attention but of course like you get pulled away by text messages or whatever i'm sure there are things that i just missed and didn't same see. here yeah so i i loved it i'm super glad that we decided to do that this week yeah and i'm and 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 again like i guess we've said this a lot lately but 
I don't know if it's we're just more aware of them or they're getting better, but documentaries are just fucking where it's at these days. New man. documentaries, it's hard to beat. I don't I don't know how you do. It's hard it's to all, beat. It's pretty much mostly what I watch, especially like this, and it's something that we've talked about. It's it's a true story. It's I, I'm learning, but it's also done in this extremely artistic fashion that where it's a full expression. Uh, it's not, I don't feel like I'm just watching like a you know a nature documentary from the seventies yeah. that you had to watch in grade school. But they're or like, and then like this happened. Then Exa- this happened. Yeah. You know, yeah. There they, was there was a progression and there was a story, mm-hmm. but it was which more I appreciate. About, yeah, it was more about capturing the essence of the band and their art, and I fucking loved it so much. Me too, man. I mean, yeah, they did a great job of keeping it chronological. Like they talked about the early stuff. Yep. Like it all happened in the right amount of time. That's right. Where I've definitely seen docs where I'm like, where are they now? Like, how? Mm-hmm. Wait, did this already happen? How come they're in Europe? How come they're here? Like, it's just very all over the place. So I loved it. They nailed it. Folks, go check it out. Apple TV Plus, wherever the fuck that's Velvet is Underground. called. The Velvet Underground by Todd Ains. So good. Here we go. We got a couple things to get through with Future Gear here, and uh, let's just do it. Um, you know what? I'm gonna. I, I kept it on theme this week. We're going to talk about three Fender things here, Dave. Ooh. And we're going to start with something that I know you're excited about, just like I am, that our friends, my former employers, uh, Chicago Music Exchange, have a new custom color exclusive to CME called Pacific Peach. It's beautiful. It's fucking dope. Yeah. I normally kind of hate new colors because yeah. I'm a I'm an old man that likes to yell at the sky sure. and I was super into it. So you can get it now. It is on a player jazz master uh which um first of all I have to say the photos look incredible shot by our former guest Sam, Sam Porter uh, from Kalimasi. Go listen to Kalimasi. At your former rehearsal. Shot at my former studio, which made me a little bit sad. Well, at least it's getting good use. Yeah, he took over the space. He's turned into his professional photo studio, and it fucking looks incredible. Um, The body is made of alder. It's uh, poly finish with a polyferro fretboard. That might be my only, if I have a negative. I feel like they're all polyferro now. It's a a much more obtainable, sustainable wood, Mm -hmm. uh, and it sounds exactly the same. I just happen to like the look of a dark fretboard, which I don't think I'm alone on that. I think I told you, I was like, I would stay in the fretboard if that was mine. Which I don't know if you can even really do that. Can you do that? It'll probably rub off on your fingies. Oh, but I will say that I think it's amazing for only eight seventy five. That is a fucking hell of a guitar. It's got a matching headstock. Mm -hmm. It, has a four-way selector switch. It doesn't have all the goofy Jazzmaster electronics it's not the, that, like that the traditional Jazzmaster. But I didn't realize this until I dug a little deeper. Pun intended. They actually did the route for the electronics. So if you want to throw a rhythm circuit no in shit. there, you can just do it without any. I did any not know hog and wood out. So it's got USA made pure vintage sixty-five pickups, series parallel four-way switching, painted head cap, that pre-routed cavity, and then it is a CME exclusive Pacific Peach. Which I guess, I mean, it, it makes sense now that I think about it, but they've kind of rebranded it as the CME exclusive program yeah. where they've got these, all There's these a collaborations. Few colors they did they've got a few too. colors. Uh, they've got a, 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 they've got a bunch of Gibsons that you can only get. Yeah. They've got a bunch of pedal with colorways that you can only get. Yeah. Uh, so there's actually a link on the, I think it was on the reverb listing where you could get to all that CME I don't stuff. know if these came out at the same time, but I, I might have sent it to you, but they did like an, uh, an olive drab color that's similar to Gibsons. Yeah. You know, like an army green. We did talk about that. Um, and then there's a sonic blue, which is an old color from the 60s, yeah. but they kind of brought it back for that they guitar. Did. So that guitar is available in some fucking awesome colors right now. Yeah, but I, dude, I don't I'm like, a sucker for colors. I don't, I don't, we were t- I don't need another Jazzmaster, no, but I kind of fucking want that guitar. Yeah, I know, dude. right? It's fucking sick. Sick. Yeah. 875 for a custom color that you can only get. I mean, yeah. that's the other thing too, is that there are so many collectors and stuff out there that like if you are trying to get into that world, 
it might not be a bad idea to buy one and sit on it because yeah. eventually you're not going to be able to get it and then it's going to become a thing that people collect and it'll be worth i guarantee you that guitar is going to be worth more oh someday than it is right now oh absolutely especially with the way things are going exactly um, yeah and for people who i you know i when i first saw it uh to me that color looks like which is First of all, creating a new color is not as easy as nope. it, as people th- might think it is. I mean, you really have to go through a lot of trial and error. Mm-hmm. Um, and then even to, to, to come up with the swatch, but then also apply it to the guitar and be yeah, like... Yeah, because it's going to change once you paint it onto yeah, some wood and stuff. Especially when you overspray it and everything. Yeah. So uh, to me, though, it looks a lot like a really old, like a uh, Fiesta Red from the 60s. Mm. Because Fiesta Red, because the, the yellowing of the nitro would turn orange... And so one of my favorite colors ever is like an aged Fiesta Red. It's not as pink as like the new Fiesta Red. Exactly. So. And, it, and it isn't quite an orange mm-hmm. either. It's not as orange as that. Yeah. But uh, it's I, I it really like it. And, and to your point, it isn't it is a poly finish. So while that might be, not be everyone's necessary cup of tea, first of all, it makes for a more stable uh, hard finish so yeah. if that's your if that's your bag but also like you said when you spray nitro nitro over something it's going to yellow and change the color so this pacific peach should hold that color pretty well for a long time yep yeah and um you know if you get curious want to go do a deep dive on that guitar uh our good former guests mm-hmm. sam and nathaniel are oh, playing yes the song peaches by president of the united states on the nose uh nailing it i loved it it was a great performance i just want to say it's one of my favite karaoke songs to do oh that's a good and, one uh, dude. it's because it's super easy yeah and um but they they fucking knock it out of the park it's great so man love check me some out. peaches love me some nathaniel and some sam yep. so love that guitar go check it out here you know what i'm gonna talk about another fender guitar we're gonna talk about another fender Let's guitar do it that I, you know what? I don't know. I don't know if I love it as much, Dave. And we talked about this one a little bit too mm. this week. And that is the new Fender Violin Master. Oh boy. The, uh, they call it the uh, Fender Custom Shop Stradivari type Telecaster. I've, yeah. Uh, it's been getting, well, we're not crazy because I've seen it uh, on a few threads now. Oh, have and, you? Yeah. Um, you know, because people repost things and yeah. stuff. So, you know, you get to see other people's comments and yeah. their kind of uh, opinions about it, too. And we I, I was the first I saw of it when you sent it to me. Uh-huh. So we had had not been influenced, but we right. formed similar opinions, I think, about it. Um, but I, the main one for me, and I, I know visually it has some problems, but uh, the, it's thirty thousand dollars. Yeah, let's talk about it a little bit. So yeah. this 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 is a new Telecaster. It's fully hollow, inspired by master violinist Joshua Bell and his 1713 X Huberman Stradivarius violin. Built by principal master builder at Fender, uh, who, if you've never listened to the episode, go check out the Carlos Lopez, also master builder. But this was built by Yuri Shishkov, which he's one of the, he's, he's like, like the, the head, head guy, guy now. Yeah. Uh, the guitar uh, has a hollow flame maple body with a hollow carved arch top that's built from the same Italian Stradivari spruce used for those violins. So that's part of it. And it also has proportionally scaled Stradivarius F holes. And this is the first thing that loses yep. me because we've talked about this a little bit. I don't think I like F holes on on fenders, um, except for the the single F hole on a sixty nine thin line Telecaster. Yeah, yeah, which I can get down with that a little bit. Well, this yeah, and this has the double F holes, so it's and they kinda, seem kind of big. Well, it's it's just weird to me because uh, vi- like a Stradivarius is so symmetrical, right? So when you see the F holes, you're like, oh, it's beautiful because it still has a cutaway. Telecaster is the opposite right. of symmetry. You uh-huh. know, it's like this big lump on one side and then a, cu- and a cutaway it's on got the a other. Little dick hanging off the edge. A little dicky. Um, for me. I think I would have chosen, I think I mentioned this to you, a different body shape for that guitar. Like I would have probably master. done a jazz master because mm-hmm. you've already got the offset. I might have done one F hole, not two. I don't know. But I think, you know, coming and thinking about it now that you're saying that, I feel like 
for the type of buyer for this type of guitar, you're, it seems to me like there are probably more folks that would be interested in Telecasters than there would be in Jazzmasters. I still feel like Jazz, mm. Jazzmasters are popular guitars, but more so in like the hipster set. Okay. They're not buying $30,000 no, guitars. I agree. Um, so the neck is made of Bosnian flame maple and features a C-shape. Uh, it's got a uh, ebony fret, uh, fingerboard with a 9.5 inch radius, 22 medium jumbo frets, blah, blah, blah. Uh, the Violin Master is armed with not only a pair of TV Jones Thunderblade humbuckers, which I thought that was an interesting decision. I, like I didn't that. really get that, but I, I, I thought I, they matched really well. They do. Yeah. But it also has a trio of passive piezo pickups, mm. which I did not realize at first. Uh, so it, because it's supposed to be this violin thing, it kind of it does the acoustic sound. So those are like under the wood, exactly. Oh, very cool. And then uh, the controls come in the pair, uh, a form of a pair of volume knobs, one for the piezo and one for the buckers, a tone knob and a three way blade. Now. This is kind of interesting, too. So it has a floating bridge, mm-hmm. right, like a violin would. Sure. Additional hardware on the Violin Master includes a floating bridge with four interchangeable saddles, bronze, ocean coral, buffalo horn, and ebony that come in a small violin case made from leftovers of the body's core flame maple, uh, black tuning machines with ebony buttons, and a graphite nut with a disc string tree limited to just 60 examples. So they did make a number of these. I thought At first, I thought it was maybe like just one or two, yeah. but 60 is kind of a, a big number for a $30,000 custom guitar like that yeah but i i do like the idea that it, it is it seems like it's not just about the aesthetics or the looks of this thing it is about the tone which is why they're giving you different bridges and, and that sort of thing sure. so you can kind of tweak i would it love to, to play thing. it like to check it out i bet it rings like a bell did baby. you did they have any videos of it i didn't look. i did watch a, a little video but okay. it didn't have i the video that i saw was just like talking about okay. and showing it i didn't I want to see like a nathaniel video it. where he's like playing it you dude know, if i you know see him he's gonna have to get one of those yeah so yeah yeah maybe i mean hopefully but hopefully. yeah nathaniel will get to take it home and i hope so tease me on his um, instagram yeah i know that son of a bitch uh dude i, I look and I, I really like the wood finish i think they did a good job with, it's a little too orangey wood you think so for, i mean i know that's what the stradivarius right. looks like too but i just it's almost that burl wood look like i like a darker creamier or not creamier darker oh. sort of chocolatier i okay. guess yeah violin look to right me. almost and like the uh like the older gibson basses like exactly that, the yes. EBO, right yeah, like the early ones that had the violin body shape yes um i agree uh that but i thought they did a good matching like the hardware and i thought it was a good approach to like the pickups that they chose yeah it all had this kind of cool it's not it, they didn't just slap a lipstick in it and be like oh yeah we're done here this is it's yeah. a stradivarius they they definitely they did it right i just i honestly look if I was offered those two guitars, I would rather have the fucking player jazz master than that violin master, yeah. which yeah. is, I re- realize ridiculous when you're talking about statement, when you're talking about two orders of magnitude and price difference. Yeah. But if you couldn't sell it, if you like had to play it or something, right? I yeah. would definitely rather have that jazz master. Yeah, I'd be more interested to try the jazz master. So sure. that was number two. Number three, we didn't really talk about this. Okay. Uh, um, although you might've seen it. Fender has re-released the Kurt Cobain Jagstang. I saw a little uh, ad about it, but I didn't blurby on blurb. It. Yeah, so, little blurb. So uh, f- for those who don't know, Fender's Jaguar and Mustang were two of Kurt Cobain's favorites, so much so that uh, in 1993, yep. I believe, he and Fender set out to create the signature model where he took pictures, like he literally cut out pictures of jaguars and mustangs and then like shoved them together and taped it and sent that to fender that's so cool the resulting jagstain went from those it was originally a custom shop guitar although i don't know if i've ever seen him actually playing one. no i haven't i think he might have sort of died in the time frame of them making when they kind of yeah well and then um and then they made a japanese version i I was gonna say that's the only ones i've ever seen me too so growing up my he was my babysitter and then eventually became my neighbor he had the first guitar i ever played he also had a jag sting and i remember playing being like i fucking hate this thing it was like hard to play yeah and it's not i mean it's 
it's a but they stopped making it in 2004 yeah so uh now this is the 30th anniversary of nevermind fender has again reissued it um i believe it's mexican now that makes sense um yeah. so it has it follows his exact spec sheet uh 24 inch maple neck so short scale 7.25 fin- uh, inch radius alder body uh vintage style single coil on the neck with a custom humbucker in the bridge uh let's see uh, available in fiesta red or sonic blue just like the original it's both righty and lefty because obviously kurt was lefty and it is now available for 1249 dollars yeah that sounds about right which i think is right for that guitar yeah i was gonna say 999 would be kind of like just that i have to wonder who is going to buy that you know are is this do you think that there are new players that are going to be interested in the jag thing or is this solely squarely aimed at you and me, people that were around when never mind. Granted, I, I was like a little young for yeah. never mind, but like people around that age, do you think that they're trying to target that market with this guitar? No, I think it's actually going to be marketed. Um, did they say it, if it has like a big like Kurt signature on it? Or I don't think it does. The, the original Jag Sting did. Maybe on the back of the headstock, there's a little something, yeah. but it seems definitely like not on the front. Would do. Right. Um, I would say it's marketed towards people who kind of like don't know what they want. You know, I don't want a Jaguar. I don't want a Jazzmaster. I don't want like what everybody else has. Mm. And I think it's 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 going to go to the customer who wants something different. Or there's obviously going to be the guy who's got like a Nirvana shrine in his man cave. That's true. Look good in there. Um, you know, who plays a little guitar or whatever. But I don't think you're going to have. Uh, I think you're going to have. It's mainly going to be for the people who just want something different. There's just that's a good point. I you know sick I'm, of I'm looking thinking at about the same stuff. Signature instruments and we've done we've talked yeah. about this ad nauseum they're almost always just you know some tweaks or aesthetic changes like paint or yeah it's never like a new it's model. never like a full new body model which i can't really think of another one other than bo diddley frankly where there are there are his signature guitar. models that only look like that it's a really good point i mean fender at that time to to build you a custom made body shape was that's bananas right because they're known for like the to be like oh, automation they can you know it's all about the efficiency of production yeah we're like oh we'll do stuff. the you know the the blacky stratocaster like exactly. oh it's just a maple neck like, it's kind of like taco bell when you think about it. they yeah. have like 15 ingredients that they just rearrange yeah, and that's pretty much what fender's always done too but i guess i can't really there must be an example and hit us up and let us know for the symphony but there must be another example of fender doing a different body I, shape i literally can't think of one yeah that's hmm. really interesting even like that we talked about that uh that weird bass the japanese guy had made a few like a like that wedge shape like that's something the that they made the katana so like that's something that they've made before you know oh what yeah I mean? yeah like right. i can't think of another signature where they actually just made a fully new body shape i'm gonna go ahead and say this might be the only one wow yeah. crazy yeah 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 because everything else has been like you know the uh the jack Jeff Beck Stratocaster, you right. know, or Clapton or Ingve, where they scalped the fretboard, but it's yeah. still just the same. The Springsteen Telly, you know. I don't know if that's actually a signature. There must model, be. But. I bet he's got an Esquire. Actually, there must be a, yeah. a Bruce Springsteen Esquire yeah. out there somewhere. Um, that is pretty crazy to think about wow. at the time. And this is this is an early era of doing signature instruments. The early '90s when they first made totally. it. So I wonder if they were going to go that route where they're like, "Hey, let's start to do this with more people." And let's maybe, make a big. Maybe manufacturing got too expensive, and they're like, "Dude, we're not just going to build custom body shapes of a guitar that's not really selling that crazy." Just like a dick and ball shaped uh, P bass for you, or something like that. Yeah, bring it on! Wow, that's all we've got for Future Gear. Although there's one more thing I want to talk about. Let's Dave. talk. And, and and so I wanted to keep in theme because this is spooky season here. Yeah. And I came across an article that isn't specifically gear related, but it is. Next week will be the Halloween episode. That's true. It is, and I wanted to because we talked about 
dying via electricity last week and this this kind of this article freaked me out a little bit okay so i just wanted to talk about i've done a little bit more research in this one article but there was a new scientist article and then there's been some other things that have come out about some kind of kind of spooky stuff happening so uh let's see folks you know that i'm i'm a space boy i do love the outer space stuff and this story comes from outer space strange radio signals are coming from the direction of the center of our galaxy and we don't know what's emitting them hmm they turn on and off seemingly at random, and their source must be unlike anything that we have ever seen before. The source of this radiation has been nicknamed Andy's Object after Zitang Wong at the University of Sydney in Australia, who goes by the name Andy, and first discovered these radio waves. He and his colleagues spotted the emissions six times in 2020 using the Australian Square Kilometer Array Pathfinder radio telescope. They made further observations with the Meerkat radio telescope in South Africa. The researchers found that the object occasionally flared up for up to a few weeks, but was dark most of the time. It lit up again in February of this year, several months after the initial detection, and they pointed at some of the most that there are some of the most powerful non. Okay, I'm sorry. They pointed some of the most powerful non-radio telescopes we have at it and saw nothing. We've looked. This is a quote. We've looked at every other wavelength we can, all the way from infrared to optical to X-rays, and we see nothing. So it is not consistent with any kind of star that they that we currently understand. This is also coming from David Kaplan at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. The fact that it wasn't visible in any other wavelengths ruled out several possible explanations, including normal stars and magnetars, which are neutron stars with powerful magnetic fields. This is freaking me out, Dave. There are these radio signals coming from the center of our galaxy. We don't know what's fucking sending them. Like, and, we've, wild, and there's dude. been a lot, hundreds of years, thousands of years at this point, research done on our galaxy Nobody knows what's fucking causing this stuff, man. I hope it's aliens, bro. I kind of hope it's aliens too, but it's not like they're like playing, you know, uh, Velvet Underground tracks at us. It's just like these bursts of, of waves. That's so weird. Whatever the object is, the polarization of the radio waves coming from it indicates that it has a strong magnetic field. During flares, its brightness varies by factors of up to 100, and those flares fade extraordinarily quickly, as fast as a single day, which suggests that the object is small. Whoa. So it could be... Uh, could be coming from some fucking aliens, dude. Dude, you know what would be so funny if, like, you know, we all think of aliens like Independence Day or, like, the classic, you know, uh, Area 51 aliens. Yeah. yeah. What if they were, like, like almost microscopic little, like, you dude, know, organisms? I, I think about that a lot. Do you? Well, well first of all, I mean, chances I always are, think of them as this big, like, thing that's going to come, you know, but it's like, what if they're just like, dude? Or, you know, I mean, we talk about, and this is going way off subject here, but, we, you know, we're a carbon-based life form, mm. and there are certain biological factors that because of that make us look the way that we look right so you know it is possible that life does not have to be carbon based it could be fucking methane based right. or we just haven't like, whatever our head around so it you know yeah there could be it seems likely to me that the aliens that do statistically have to exist when you get into the numbers they might just be like fucking vapor clouds that we can't even see. Yeah, or, like we or, think of it as like a being, but it might not even be a physical right. Thing. Or or you can take it even further to my favorite movie of all time, two thousand one, A Space Odyssey, and the that movie is all about evolution when it comes down to it, and you know not uh, explicitly, but like the thematically, yeah, it is. right. And the the movie, the spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, I'm sorry, it's from the sixties, nineteen sixty eight or something. But it's a it's about this evolution away from physical bodies into being beings of light. Mm-hmm. And and that's sort of the next evolution of mankind of 
life is is getting is transcending the human body and just existing only in energy. So it's possible that that's already happened too, man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so no astronomical body we know fits with all these strange traits. It's an interesting object that has confounded any attempt we have to explain it. It could turn out to be part of a known class of objects, just a weird example, but it'll push the boundaries of how we think about them. So mm. one way or another, nobody knows what the fuck this thing is. People are studying it, and it freaks me out, dude. Like, maybe what are they trying to tell us? Maybe it is like contact with Jodie Foster listening to these fucking waves, and they're trying to send us instructions on how to build a spaceship. Maybe. Have you ever seen Contact? A long time That's ago. one of my favorites. I heard that's one of the best too. space movies. It's very long, and inconsistent mm-hmm. uh <laughs> also matthew mcconaughey p- plays a priest in it which is funny oh but uh that basically the crux is and this is based on the uh, real life the seti project search for extraterrestrial whatever the fuck it is uh whatever seti stands for D- jodie foster's character was this woman who was just like pointing radio telescopes all throughout the galaxy and then like start you know was trying to find shit but then yeah. the movie of course is her actually finding instructions to build this fucking ship hmm. uh what if they're dude what if, what if they're trying to get in contact with us would that freak you out what would that what would your reaction be if we found out that aliens are real and that they're trying to get in contact with us relief you think so really yeah. okay yeah that's i like to hear that not fear um I mean, look, things aren't going to get much worse on this planet right now. True anyway. that. So, you know, there's that uh, there's that joke that, like, things are so divided right now. Maybe if aliens came, we could all be like, hey, this is something else to focus on for a change. You know, like that did kind of happen. I mean, the, the fucking U.S. government and or even like the military during this pandemic were basically like, yeah, we've seen some UFOs and we don't know what the fuck they and were. And then they were like, uh, but then people were like, we don't care. We're like arguing about or, vaccines. Or exactly. Something. So, well, there was that. Um, Dude, I've, I mean, we're going way off topic, but I've listened to some of those like interviews with like those pilots who are oh, yeah. incredible pilots totally. talking about this stuff. And like I, I now for UFO, I mean, I believe that there's definitely government crafts that we don't know about that move in ways that we can't wrap our heads around. One hundred percent. Whether the government built them or whether, you know, all the Bob Lazar shit and all that from, stuff. Yep. Like, I believe in all that shit. So that's the thing. Little, UFO means unidentified. Yes, it doesn't mean doesn't that mean it's a alien, fucking alien space spacecraft. Aliens. Right, right. Um, so that being said, I believe in that 100%. And then if it was like little aliens, though, if it was a different being, yeah. it'd be crazy, dude. It'd be pretty cool. Do you think that if aliens figured out we were here, they would even want to interact with us? Well, that's kind of the joke, right? Like maybe they're watching us from afar and being like, we're not going down. We don't want any part of that. <laughs> we're good, dude. They're going to fucking, they're going to implode and then we can just go to the yeah. planet and harvest all their beautiful Unless resources. Unless they want to eat us, you know, and then there's that. Yeah, but I feel like I don't, that 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 doesn't scare me that much. I was much. just watching a movie where aliens came down just to feed on us. What the fuck was that's a, that's a pretty common trope. I can't I know, know what it is. I do I do recent. love it. I'll watch any fucking alien movie. Yeah. Basically, I did watch Interstellar again recently. That's a good one. That it gets a little good. the the whole like uh, the whole ending part is, yeah. is a little bit much for I me. Know. I mean, I do. It 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 is probably the best representation of what Space we think time. a black hole yeah. could do, or what like the a fourth dimension looks Agreed. like, and that sort yeah. of stuff. Um, Plus, I love me some some Matt Ma- some Matt Mick. Yeah, dude, by the way, as long as we're going even further off topic, yeah. uh, this weekend, starting right now, actually, uh, is the the U.S. Grand Prix for Formula One down in Austin, Texas. And you know McConaughey is going to be all over that shit. Oh, man, you better believe it. I've man. seen, I've definitely, it was, 
I think the last one that he was at was 2017, which is like right around when I was starting to get into F1. So I've seen some of like the footage and videos of that, but you know that that dude's just going to be like hanging out in the paddock, fucking oh, dude. chopping it up with those mofos. You know he's going to be down there. Especially because like there's, he hasn't said yes or no, but there's some sort of rumbling of him wanting to run for a governor or something oh, like really? that in Texas. So you, he's got to be glad hand and doing, oh, doing all that kind of shit. Shaking and moving, man. Dude. So uh, yeah, I don't know. It. I, I will say that what do you what do you I don't think, think relief yeah I don't feel I'm afraid of it a little are bit you? but only because I tend to fear the unknown uh but yeah. I I I love space and I love yeah. the idea of us interacting I I think the thing that I'm really afraid of is how everyone else will react like we look at oh god even your point like how people are all fucking fighting over a vaccine that's like saving people's lives or even it's during like, the pandemic like how crazy people got right you know? so like I I'm a little afraid of what the world's reaction or maybe America's reaction yeah. would be to finding out about that sort of stuff. If there's like fucking weird revolts and revolutions and stuff that happens like that, that part of it scares. We could me find ourselves bit. in like a district nine scenario, dude. If they were like actual, like they were like, Hey, we're kind of like you guys. And we're like, no, you're not. And they come here. Yeah. Oh dude. That would well, be yeah, wild. we already see how we treat people that are <laughs> like our I mean. race or our, 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 our same like humans as us same and how beings, we treat yeah. each other. I know. Like imagine what that would look like. That could that, be that, a very fr- good that part freaks me out. That would that would freak me out. District Nine is a fucking great movie, by it's the way. It's so good. Watch it again if you haven't seen it. In a yeah, while. seriously, Neil Blomkamp. That dude knows how to make a. Sh- oh well, I was gonna say he knows how to make a movie. He, the other movies that he's made aren't as good, but and that, that uh, movie's really fucking good. That band's in it too. Uh, the girl oh, and the guy. Uh, you're thinking of Chappie. Oh, I am and thinking that of Chappie. Has, yeah. Uh, Deontvord in it. Yeah, that's like the robot version of District 9. Yeah, which is just not very good. No, not good movie. I really wanted to like that But movie. no, uh, District 9 was fucking fantastic. Incredible. Yeah. And I love the mockumentary format. It's been kind of beaten yep. to the ground a little bit. It was clever when it came out. Exactly. Sure. Yeah. But man, I might, I, you know what? It's been a minute since I've watched that. I, I'm, due for, that I'm due for a rewatch. This thing really went off the rails. It went, I'm, and the last <laughs> thing I'm going to I'm gonna t- go off the rails, speaking of sci-fi. Let's do it. Dune is now available on Have you watched Max. it? I haven't yet, and I, I think I'm going to do that today. I haven't either. Charlie was just telling me his dad is very a huge Dune fan. He's very excited. I'm about a Dune it. guy. I've failed at reading the book a few times. I've seen the original film starring everybody's favorite Sting. Yeah, yeah. But this new one's supposed to be pretty decent. It the trailer looks good. Um, I'm not a big fan, so I wonder if it'll stand on its own for yeah. me for a guy like me who's like I don't really remember the original movie. Yeah. But I was blown away with the documentary Jarofsky's Dune. Oh sure, yeah, right. Where, like, exactly. They, they were going to have this budget of like two hundred million dollars in yeah. like the seventies. Mick Jagger was going to be the lead guy. Oh, I just punched my microphone as I was going to pet my kitty because oh. Sophie decided to say hi. Hi, Sophie. Yeah. This is the second time we're talking about you today, at least. So that's all we got. This was a fucking great one. Hopefully it's not uh, three hours long like last week's was. But even if it is and you made it this far, go make some music. <laughs>